You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Well, good morning again. We had multiple roles kind of going on this morning, and, and I kind of want to be open with you guys. I've been feeling pretty emotional this morning. I thought Erin did an incredible job sharing her testimony. I cried during that. So. And then I thought, okay, surely I'm in, I'm in the clear. And then the girls sang Be Thou My Vision, which is one of my favorite songs, and so I continued to cry during that. And it was just, it's kind of a heavy-hearted morning. Not in a bad way, I'm just... I'm going to let you guys know in case something happens up here. Now you know. But the title of my lesson today, kind of in line with our series that we've been doing, is called In His Likeness. And I put this picture up there. I'm a big fan of Marvel. But as we get into the lesson today, really what I'm going to be talking about is the, the need and, the, and to study out, in the sense, the transformation that God does on us in becoming disciples, but also then in remaining disciples. And this transformation that continues to happen in our heart, in our character, that God not only desires that we transform, but that He facilitates it and develops it in us at the same time. And so, I know I've shared some of my testimony with the church, but I wanted to get a chance to share uh, a little bit. I became a disciple in 2006, uh, October 22nd, which was only a few weeks, I turned nine a few weeks ago, uh, spiritually. Got baptized, had studied the Bible, and, and was, was feeling amazing. It, it was just an incredible time when I saw so many of uh, my own habits and my own patterns and attitudes and was experiencing all this change and all this shifting kind of leading up into my baptism got baptized, was so excited for probably six months and, you know, doing kind of everything that, that kind of disciple culture. If you read Acts 2, that was kind of what I was doing. I was being committed to the fellowship. I was sharing my faith. I was in a ton of Bible studies. I didn't know what, what I was doing, but, but my heart was there. And, but after about six, from about six months to then kind of the three-year mark, my third kind of year after, you know, of being uh, a disciple, I struggled and, and was kind of on the fringes of my salvation for about three years. I had come from a background of, of a lot of partying, a lot of immorality, a lot of sleeping around, a lot of um, pride. I uh, came from a broken home where my parents were divorced when I was very young. And so there was, there was so many, I had a lot of baggage. And, you know, coming out of that, I thought, okay, surely it's done. Like, I became a disciple, it's all behind me, surely I'm golden, and the rest of life is just going to be amazing. You know, like, fields of flowers and, you know, guys don't dream of fields of flowers, but, you know, like, the kind of the ease that you walk down a football field made of artificial turf for men. That's, you know, that's, we don't imagine fields of flowers, I misspoke, but... It's artificial turf on you know, UCLA or something. The ease. That's what I imagined. And, and kind of real life happened, and real life hit me, and I started to slide. Slowly. It always starts slow. It's kind of the analogy. If you throw a frog into boiling water, it immediately jumps out. But if you, if you put a frog in 
lukewarm water and you slowly bring it to a boil, he'll just sit there and die. And it's kind of, this can happen to us spiritually and happen to me where slowly, small compromises kind of made day after day started to pile up. And small compromises turned into bigger situations, turned into patterns in my character. I started struggling with habitual sexual immorality. It seemed every, you know, as a disciple, every three months or four months, almost like clockwork, there'd be a one-night stand in my record. And, And I wouldn't know how this would happen at the time, but I look back now and it was the small steps, my purity. The small steps. Oh, I can look at that. I can watch that movie. I can listen to that song. It's kind of provocative, but it's, it's no big deal. That slowly turned into pornography. That slowly turned into more impurity and, and kind of inc- that became immorality. And, and when you kind of get to a point like that, it jars you a little bit. So then you turn and you repent really quick. But if you don't change, it, it patterns and it recycles. And so for three years, I just kind of recycled immorality, deceit, living a double life, struggling to be committed to the body, struggling to make meetings of the body, really even struggling just to kind of reconnect with God. And every time the cycle went through, it just got more and more difficult. And I remember one night staring, not being able to sleep. Not, not for the sake of coffee or anything, but I remember one night lying in bed, not being able to sleep, staring at the ceiling, having slept with some girl that I had met earlier that day. And, just, and staring there and, and, and remembering being in the exact same position before I became a disciple. And going, and I remember looking at the ceiling and thinking to myself, I thought this was supposed to be different. When I studied the Bible, this was not supposed to happen. This isn't the way that I thought Things were supposed to go. And I realized, uh, kind of in that time, I'm, I'm wondering why my friends are more spiritual than I am. Or I'm wondering why they're kind of going on and having all these victories and I'm not. I started wondering why I was being discipled by guys much younger than me, more spiritual than me. And, and in my pride, kind of feeling like, dude, I'm like five years older than you. Like, what are you going to teach me? But then being completely taught, you know, like, being completely taken to school and wondering, like, why am I so unspiritual? Like, why, why is this kind of happening to me? I remember there was a, a young Christian that, that is still a great friend of mine today. This was at that time. And he, I had been a disciple for probably two and a half years, and he had been baptized like three months prior to, but was just kind of so on point, and he discipled me. And I was, and discipling, I say disciple for... That's a, like a mentoring, a spiritual mentoring relationship where you kind of get time to be open, to share, and, and they help you become more like Jesus. And so, but you have to let them help you is, is the fun part. And, and I was so prideful that in, in six months of, of our relationship, we got together a whole of two times, which it, is, is shocking. And, and the two times were on the front end. The first time turned into a yelling contest. 
because I just couldn't hear anything that he was saying. And the second time was when he told me, bro, these, these times are so ineffective and it's such a waste of time for me to talk to you because you don't listen. You let me know when you want to get together and you want to be real. And, and six months went by. This is kind of where I was at. And I realized at, at some point that I was missing something. That, that there was something that I was not connecting with. And if you guys will turn with me to Galatians 2.20. Actually, I have the clicker. In Galatians 2, verse 20, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. And I realized very quickly that the problem was that I had started living again. You know, when you read this passage, Paul's writing it, so he didn't, he didn't actually get crucified. That would be difficult. But there's a sense of, he's saying, okay, this old me, this old life is completely dead. Is completely, there is nothing, if you were to look at me, and, and if I were to, you know, go through the government and, and get, like, plastic surgery and, and, you know, whatever, you would not know it was me. Because I'm so different. Because there is not even a, a trace, there's not even a hint of who the old me used to be. And I realized that I had made that decision at one point, but had somewhere along the line kind of come back. And I was starting to live again for myself. And I was starting to live again by increments, by inches in my own image. That I was starting to look less and less like Jesus and more and more like the man that I hated the most, the, the man that I used to be. And so what I want to talk about today is really this subject in itself, being transformed, becoming more and more and more in His likeness than in our own. And so, my one point, or not my one point, my first point tonight is called to be in His likeness. Because for all of us, we've got to kind of come to terms with the fact that we are called to be made in Jesus' likeness. I know that when I studied the Bible, and for a lot of us, before we became Christians, we did some pretty foolish things. And I say foolish because I didn't want, you know, in the Bible, God says, okay, if you don't do what I say, you're stupid. So, but that was a hard thing to say on stage, and so I just went with foolish. I'm going to let God say stupid. We did a lot of foolish things before we became Christians, right? And, and so, but then we studied the Bible, and we got a lot of help, and we got people, maybe you're studying the Bible right now. Let me tell you, when you get baptized, baptism fixes salvation. It doesn't fix stupid. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, baptism doesn't fix foolish. And so I didn't know that. And so I went, like, yeah, cool, I'm going to be this whole new thing. But it was, I was just now saved and stupid, not just stupid, you know? 
And so I'm like, and so I went along and, and did it, you know, I start, my discipleship was suffering because I, I just kept going thinking, okay, cool, like I'm, I'm changed, I'm done, it's over, it's, it's completed. And for sure the study series did incredible things. I, I, my attitude completely changed. My habits completely changed. The, the things that I allowed myself to do or not do. But when it came to my character... When it came to my patterns, when it came to my coping mechanisms, when it came to kind of the deep waters of my heart, that was going to be a much longer process. And we've got to understand that Jesus isn't just calling us to, to study the Bible and then, boom, the end, you just, now you're, you're free to just run wild. And like, no, it, you're, you're being called to a continual transformation. That we're being called to a day-by-day work on the deep parts of who we are. Day-by-day work on all of those. And it, it comes down to really, are we going to answer this call? Are we going to answer this call to be made in His likeness? God is willing, but sometimes we are not always willing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, Paul writes, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I love this passage, and, I, and I've read this passage, and maybe you have too, like hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of times, like, okay, God is transforming me, I get it, I get it. But I, I went back to it, and I thought, maybe this is one of those scriptures that has like cool little Easter eggs hidden in the Greek and in the translate. You know, you find those cool things that just blow your mind. And so I went back, and I'm, let me look at this. Let me try to really understand what this is saying. And, and I went back, and, and contemplate stood out to me as being weird. Not weird, but it's worded differently. We contemplate. I'm like, I don't, I don't connect with that. What does that mean? And so I started looking at it, and, and the actual Greek word that it talks about, it says contemplate. The word literally means to reflect as in a mirror. Or as one would, would look and, and judge the view of oneself. And so I started reading this, and it says, we all who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory. That as we're reflecting, as we're mirroring Jesus, that we're being transformed. And I thought about that, that that there's an imitation that happens, that must happen for us to be transformed. And I think, this is kind of old news, but in some ways we can get hung up on this. We know, okay, I've got to live as Jesus lived. I've got to walk. The Bible studies... You know, as I read the Bible, the call is, okay, I must, I'm a Christian. I'm like Christ. I must be like that. I think we can kind of get caught in um, one of two ways. Okay, that's impossible. I'm not going to do it. Or I'm not trying hard enough with like an overactive sense of guilt. Right? We can go kind of where one, it's like, I'm never going to make it. I'm just hopeless. I'm stuck in sin. And, And we don't even try. Or on the other side, we're so production-based that, that if, if we slip or do one little thing that's not, suddenly it's like we're so condemned 
and we're so drawn by, and just crushed kind of by the whole world's weight of guilt because we, we didn't make it, even though the race isn't, isn't finished. And I started reading this and, and reflected as in a mirror, this, this idea of imitation. The, the example that really came to my mind is like a little kid. And I don't know, for you parents, and maybe for, for us, the, the children who are not yet parents, but still growing up, I don't know if you ever had this experience. My sister did this with my dad, where she would, or with my mom, I should say. She would put on my mom's sunglasses. I mean, she's like knee high. Put on my mom's sunglasses and this big old hat. And my mom had like one of those southern, like, you know, hats. And then put on my mom's high heels and, and grab a scarf and just kind of drag it across the floor. And she would walk around just saying, I'm the mommy, I'm the mommy, I'm the mommy. And, and then start bossing people around. <laughs> I'm like, well, this might be accurate, I don't know. But when you look at that, you go, okay, that is not the most accurate representation in the world. But it's pretty good. And when you think about, okay, when it comes to our hearts, when it comes to imitating Jesus, when it comes to imitating God, do we hold ourselves to kind of that kind of standard? That, okay, it's, it's got to be my heart to imitate God. It's got to be my heart. We have the perfect example of Jesus. But it, am I giving my whole heart, like, like little kids do in very many ways, to, to imitate that, to be like that? Not necessarily to do what they do, but to be that person. And it talks about that when we're doing that, that God is kind of moving along the way to make that happen. And I thought of, okay, well, what, what is, how is he moving that along? What, what power is at work here? That as we're imitating God, and the word that he used for our being transformed, I looked that up also. And the word that it used for being transformed is the exact same word that was used in the Gospels when they described the transfiguration. When they described Jesus going up onto the mount with Peter, James, and John and being completely revealed for who He really is as the Son of God. Blinding light. Voice thundering from heaven. They were so afraid and so in awe of just the power he says that, that same thing is what God is doing to us to transform us. That same amount of power. It's not, because I know sometimes I can hear that. Okay, God is transforming me. Sure. Like, after that retreat, I'll be transformed. After that fall retreat for the campus. After that Mary's retreat. After some giant cataclysmic spiritual event, I will be transformed like this much. And it'll be great. It's like a battle of inches. You know, I'll take that inch. But God has a very different understanding of this transformation. God is going, no, no, no. Whenever, you, whenever you're giving your heart to imitate me, I'm pulling the transfiguration in you to make you more like Jesus. That was so powerful when I thought of it. When I really considered the effort, the force, the, the righteousness that God is working in my... I think on one hand, that's a testament to maybe how hard our hearts can be. 
that God has to use that much power to move it. But it's for no lack of effort on God's part to move our hearts. The question is, are you giving yourself to it? Or are you fighting back a little bit? And as I, as I kept going kind of with this thought, I mean, this idea is written kind of throughout the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 46, Paul writes, The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man, Adam, was of the dust of the earth. The second man, Christ, is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those of the earth. Right? That's us. We're children of Adam. As is the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. That from the beginning, from the fall, God knew, okay, we need a transformation. Because Adam was, Jesus is the Adam that was supposed to be. When you read the whole, when you read the Bible in context, when you read the, the narrative of God's people, Adam was supposed to be who Jesus was before the fall. Adam was supposed to have that perfect relationship with God. He was supposed to have that power, that transformation. Then the fall came, and then we came. And it's not to say that that there's an original sin, we're born with sin, but we're certainly born susceptible to sin. And God knew. He sent Jesus, and He said, look, okay, I'm going to send you the real prototype to bring you back from where you came. Because as you've been born of the earth, now, being disciples, you need to be born of heaven. And I'm going to show you the way. That gives me such a deeper appreciation for a lot of things. That gives me such a deeper appreciation for these discipling relationships. Because I've got to look at that and I've got to go, man, this guy, this man or this woman, for those of us who are women, this is God's chosen agent of my transformation right now. Do I believe that? That's an important question. Do you believe that the person who's in your life right now, even if they're studying the Bible with you, that they are God's chosen instrument for your transformation right now? That if it was supposed to be someone else, this is important enough to God that it would be someone else. That changes a lot. That changes a lot in my heart. I hope that changes a lot in our hearts. When it comes to our humility... When it comes to our graciousness with one another, you've got to think, okay, man, the people in my small group, the people in my ministry, they, God put them here to help me be transformed. To help me be who God wants me to be. And sometimes we need reminders of that. But we must be open. We must answer the call to be made in His image. Oh. My second point is not iTunes, but we're, we're getting there. 
Right. Oh. Right there. Point number two. Besides being open and being answering the call to be made in His likeness, we've got to understand that His likeness inspires others. You go, okay, well, why do I have... Okay, I've got to do this myself. Sure, I want to be more like Jesus. And I think that's what it boils down to. You go, well, Chaz, my life isn't that messed up. Okay, but you're not Jesus. I mean, even if you look at it from, from a purely, I'm pretty good with myself, I don't need to change. I think when you compare yourself to Jesus, when you compare your patience to Jesus, when you compare your parenting to Jesus, who you are as an employee, as a friend, as a family member, Jesus all around pretty much trumps us all. The question, you know, it's not, I'm not going to give you like a sharp piercing like, why aren't you like Jesus? It's more of like, why wouldn't you want to be like Jesus? Why wouldn't you want to be transformed and have those things? Like, why, why would that even... I think that's the deeper issue in a lot of our hearts. It's just, why wouldn't you? I mean, if it's that, awesome. But I think we've got to understand that the likeness of Christ not only moves us, but it inspires so many people. And I know we, we get up here sometimes and, and talk a lot about discipleship. We talk a lot about sharing your faith. I'm, I'm a campus minister, so that's, that's kind of my bread and butter, is you need to go share your faith, you need to make disciples. But I think the deeper issue behind this is, are we becoming more and more like Christ? Because all of those things just flow out of it, when you think of. If you're trying to be like Jesus, you will share your faith. And nobody will need to tell you to do it. If you're trying to be like Jesus, you will go after resolving conflict on your own. Because Jesus was a peacemaker. If you want to be like Jesus, you'll go after having an incredible impact. You'll go after being more loving. You'll go after being more... All of these things, just because you, this is who Jesus is. This is who God is designing us to become. And it doesn't only affect us. In 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let's see if I got this. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Paul is, is writing to Timothy and he tells him, Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Teen ministry, campus ministry. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and impurity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. You look at this, and this is an amazing passage for Young disciples all over the place. It, it just kind of goes bullet point. It gives great direction. I love direction. Direction's easy to follow most of the time. But when you look at this, and if you were to kind of step back and go, okay, what is Paul really saying? Paul's really saying, Timothy, you need to be more like Jesus. I mean, kind of bottom line, he says, look, 
command and teach. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but don't blast them. Instead, be an example in love, in life, in speech, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, preach and teach the Word. Devote yourself. He's telling you everything that Jesus... He's saying, look, you need to be... I'm going to give you little instructions because I'm going to hide it in there because you've probably heard that a lot, but bottom line is you've got to be more like Jesus. And he tells them at the very end, do this in front of everyone. You're like, okay, is, he, is this a pride thing? He goes, not, not for yourself, not, for your, not so that everyone in your Bible discussion group goes, wow, that person is spiritual. That's, wow. Nobody, I mean, nobody really, it's not like a spiritual celebrity status. I think some of us feel like that sometimes. I'm a spiritual celebrity. You're really not. Like, you're a disciple. Come on, Jesus is the celebrity. Let's, let's talk about that. But it says, do this so that everyone may see your progress. Transformation, true transformation is many things. It's convicting. It's humbling. It's inspiring. It's moving. When you see it happen right in front of your face. If you're discouraged, I want to encourage you, study the Bible with someone. There is something godlike. There is something immensely and immeasurably powerful when you're discouraged, when you feel down, when you get in a Bible study with someone and you see the Word of God start to transform them right in front of your face. There is something about that that will just move your faith, that will move your heart to places it's never been. Transformation is powerful. And we've all seen it. We've all seen it in our families. We've all seen it in our friends. We've seen it in our small groups. If you look back a few years, you'll see someone and where they're at now and you'll go, that was only God. And sometimes you'll say it like, bro, that was only God. That was none of you. That was entirely the power of God that transformed you. But this is, do, do we still remember that? Do we remember how powerful it is to see someone? We had a, a brother get baptized in the campus ministry about three to four weeks ago. His name is Jose Aguilar. He's sitting here in the front row. And I'm going to put him on the spot here a little bit. It did something amazing to my faith to see Jose humble himself to the Scriptures. To be reminded by God, there are people who want to love me. There are people who want to please me, who will make the sacrifices to see God's power. That's gonna, that could carry me through the whole fall. Just that. It does something so powerful. And I want to share with you guys a story uh, of a man that I studied the Bible with and I baptized a few years ago. In, in 2010, we, when I was in, Long, I was in the Long Beach campus ministry, and one of my roommates studied the Bible with this tall, goofy guy named Tariq. He studied the Bible all the way through, got baptized. It was amazing, a huge encouragement, and he had a twin brother, which shocked us because we didn't know that 
prior to. And so when he showed up at the baptism, we were all kind of stunned that there were two of him. We didn't initially know which one we were going to baptize. And so it's, <laughs> hang on, let's just do both of them, like be safe. Like We didn't, but it was, it was close. And so his, brother, his brother's name is Amir. And Tariq had incredible faith and just basically shared his faith and invited his brother out every day for six months. He was just stubborn, wouldn't come out. Finally, he comes out, and we study the Bible with him. And I'll never forget, he was one of the most challenging people I ever studied the Bible with. Because you would ask him a question. You know, wow, you know, what does the scripture make you feel? You know, what, what does that make you think of? And he'd go, yeah, it's good. Is that a, what did, what did it make you feel? It's good. <laughs> you know, we were moving on. So how do you feel about your sin? Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> okay. We get to the cross, you know, we watch the passion, and man, what do you, you know, the weight of the sacrifice, you know, what does that mean to you? Man, it's good. <laughs> I'm like, come on, dude, give me something here. I need a window. I mean, we had some intense conversations just to kind of pull him out because I had no idea what this guy was feeling, what he's thinking, I, how it's even hitting him, if he's just showing up because I kept buying him food. I don't know. I don't know. Campus students, you never know. And so, on October 4th, 2010, we baptized Amir. He's the one in the middle. The other one is his brother, the taller one. And so, we baptized, and it was amazing. So encouraging. But then the real work began. And it came to, okay, now I've got to help this guy transform. I've got to help this guy become more like Jesus. And so I remember training him and, and discipling him for a time. And then when I moved to Orange County, my roommate started mentoring him and helping him and showing him scriptures. And, and over time, I got to see from afar... how powerful God is and how much more and how much greater his plans are than mine. I saw Amir not just become a, a, a great disciple but become a campus minister in the Antelope Valley. Uh, he's up there now and, and preaching the word, baptizing creating incredible family. He's been such a huge encouragement to the Moretzkis and, and being out there. They took a, a tiny little ministry at two colleges and it's growing faithfully. And just yesterday, I got to see him get married. And I was in the wedding. And there was a time during the rehearsal dinner when you know, he got a chance to thank all his groomsmen and, and, uh, and he, you know, he came to me and, and just thanked me and, and got kind of teary and, and he's kind of a man's man so he held it in and you know, kind of cut his sharing short, gave me a hug and told him how proud I was of him. And, but it didn't hit me really until seeing him standing there and, and this morning even thinking about who he was, you know, an 18-year-old 
kid, getting baptized, basketball player, and seeing this incredible destiny that God laid out for him. That in my mind, I thought, man, I just want this guy to be faithful. But God's plan was so much greater. And I remember giving him a hug and telling him how proud I was of him. Of, of who he had become, the impact that he was having, how much he loved God. And, and I remember when I got married, my dad giving me a hug, you know, and, and him telling me the same thing. And it was just one of those moments that I'm going to remember forever. And it's completely God transforming. It's completely God making us into his likeness. Because for all of us, somebody got to see us transformed. Right? When you think about that, somebody got to see you transformed. Or if you're in the process of being transformed, somebody has seen this. Somebody's faith is being exploded in so many incredible ways by seeing you grow. By seeing us grow. How much more, God, when God calls us to transformation and it happens and we become more and more, how much greater will our ministry become? How much greater will our family become as we each become more and more like Christ? And so I want to close out in 1 John Chapter 2, verse 5. John writes, But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Guys, I want to remind us, I want to challenge us, I want to encourage us that it's not about the number. It's not about the evangelism. It's not about, right, when you look at these things individually, it's not about them. It's not about how much you're sharing your faith. It's not about how much, how many people you are baptizing or so-and-so is about, or, or how much money you give. Or so. Individually, those things are, are nothing. The question that wraps them all up is, are you becoming more and more like Christ? Are you giving your whole heart to be more and more and more readily made in His likeness? Do you look for those opportunities? Do you search for them? Do you welcome them? Do you hunger for them to be transformed? Let's be a ministry that above and beyond, beyond any other issue, beyond any other no statistic, are we becoming more like Christ? Let us strive for that wholeheartedly. Amen? Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.